We are in Romans chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 16 and 17 tonight. Thank you all so much for coming out. Thank you for your prayers. Let's go before the Lord. Father, we thank you for blessing us. Thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you that you are here. We thank you for all the ministry that's going on on this campus tonight. And I pray that you would empower and use every servant and that every servant will serve with a pure heart. That they'll serve in joy and love and peace in your power, Lord. May you be glorified in everything that's going on on this campus tonight. We pray for safety on the grounds for everyone. And we pray, Father, for for you to open up our hearts, Lord. Help us by your enabling grace to surrender and allow you to have your way in and through us. Lord, we desire to be more like Jesus throughout the remainder of this night than we were earlier today. And I pray for the gift of teaching and that I will decrease and you increase. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So once again, the message is coming from Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. The title of our message tonight is Unashamed. And the word ashamed means embarrassed, guilty because of one's actions. Or it could mean that a person is embarrassed or guilty because of their characteristics or their associations. And a person who is ashamed is hesitant or unwilling to do something because of humiliation or because of the embarrassment that they feel. And I remember when I was younger, my father was still alive. My earthly father was still alive. I remember he would go to the grocery store and he would take me with him. And I would be embarrassed or ashamed because of the way he would go to the grocery store. Because he would go in these short shorts, a dingy white t-shirt. He would wear white tube socks with some non-matching color. It had like red stripes or green stripes. And then he would wear dress shoes with that outfit. I'm, I am not exaggerating. I'm not just trying to make you laugh. I'm serious. And so for a preteen or a teenager, I would go to the store with Mr. Charles Logan with him dressed like that. And sometimes I would even get embarrassed because at one point my, my father, he's passed away now, but at one point he was an alcoholic. And so I would get embarrassed when he would drink and get drunk and, and try to talk to my friends. You know, he would ask my friends when they would call, don't you have homework to do? And that was so embarrassing for me. So I was so ashamed. But even as parents, some of us have been ashamed of our children's behaviors. We go out in public and they may throw a tantrum. My youngest son has a disability, autism. And at one point he was really into Dr. Pepper. And so if you didn't buy him a Dr. Pepper, he was going to throw a fit in that store. And so that, that was pretty embarrassing. 
And many of you as parents can, can think of situations like that. But then you turn to the children. And we have children of different age levels in here. And some of you may be ashamed to admit to your friends that, hey, I can't go to the bowling alley with you. I can't go to the movies or the mall with you because I'm ashamed to say that I have been grounded. And so that is shameful for many youths. And then, of course, we have the married couples. We have a partner in a marriage or partners in a marriage who have felt shame because maybe their mates have put them down in public. And so many of us have felt shame in many different areas in life. And I can imagine some coaches would maybe shame some players for making a bad play. And when I used to help coach football, I I really didn't focus on that. They fumbled the football. I mean, you can't reverse time and unfumble the football. And 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 the student, they know, the players, they already know they made a mistake. So I would just pat them on the helmet and move on. Or maybe remind them of some proper technique to hold on to the ball better. But in various ways, we have been ashamed. But there are some things that, yes, we ought to be ashamed of. And I mention that because the title of tonight's lesson, once again, is unashamed. But, yes, there are some things that we should be ashamed of. We should be ashamed of our sins. In fact, we can see some of these sins listed in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10, and I'm not going to turn there right now. You can read that on your own time. And there are some sins from my past that I'm ashamed of, but thank God for his grace. Thank God that I am no longer condemned. God doesn't see me as guilty. But yet and still, yes, I do remember how awful I used to be. But unfortunately, instead of some people being ashamed of their sins, the world being ashamed of the heinous crimes that they're committing, we have people like some movie stars, ex-movie stars, or even singers who would brag about their sin, who would brag about their sexual encounters, who would brag about their sexual preferences, even having a pride day for it. We would even brag about something they should be ashamed of. Rap artists in the secular world are bragging about how much Money they stole, they robbed somebody of and bragging about how much crime they've committed, how many people they shot at gangster rappers. People should be ashamed, but not. They should have godly sorrow for these sins, but we don't see that from everyone. In Second Corinthians 7.10, and I do have a reference for this. Or a slide for this. It says, for godly sorrow or the kind of sorrow God wants produces repentance leading to salvation. And it's not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Some folks are just sorry they got caught. But godly sorrow is a person who realizes that, man, that's sin, that's that's shameful I've offended a holy God. I'm really sorry about that. 
And it leads that person to repent, to turn from that sin towards God, asking for forgiveness, putting their faith in the Christ of the scriptures. And again, it is not to be regretted. It's the best decision you will make in your life. And and many of you can say amen to that because I believe many people in here are saved. But in our last lesson, one thing that we learned just for review is that the Apostle Paul had a strong desire to share the gospel. And he's speaking to the believers in Rome. Remember, they were made up mostly of Gentiles, non-Jews with some Jewish people sprinkled in. But they were in Rome. He had not been to Rome, but he was writing this letter in preparation of his trip to Rome. And so he had this strong desire to preach the gospel to them. And we found out that it was rooted in his feeling of debt or obligation to share this good news with everyone. And so we saw that as one reason Paul had this desire to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And tonight, we're going to learn another reason the Apostle Paul wanted to preach the gospel of Christ to those in Rome. And that second reason that we're going to look at tonight is because he was unashamed of this gospel of Christ. And tonight, I'm going to pose a challenge to all of us that I believe that the Lord put on my heart. And so my my intentions tonight or any time that I teach is not to share my heart, but I want to share the heart of God. I want to share a timely word that he that he wants all of us to take in tonight. And so the challenge on this night is to examine, first of all, this unashamed mindset of the Apostle Paul. And also to pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that we would adopt that same mindset. And so last week, the prayer was to adopt and apply that that mindset of having that IOU type of attitude. Or that mindset where we feel obligated to share the gospel with others. And again, tonight, let's pray about adopting the mindset, or if you have it already, to keep that mindset of being unashamed of the gospel of Christ. And then, of course, we want to allow that mindset to play out in our lives. Because the only way our actions will change is if there's a change in our minds. And that's why it says in this very letter to the Romans in chapter 12, that's why it says that we need to be transformed, not just changing our outward actions, but we need to be transformed, it says, by the renewing of our minds. Because your actions will go as your mind goes. And so if you have this unashamed mindset already, the prayer is that you'll keep it. If you don't have it, the prayer is that we would adopt it by the power of the Holy Spirit and and live it out. And so our lesson, of course, is going to come from verses 16 and 17. But I want to read the first uh, few verses before it. And so I want to start again at verse 8 just for review and context. So Romans 1.8, it says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. 
that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests, if by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now. That I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel, the good news to you who are in Rome also. And then beginning tonight's lesson, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. And so I want to start at the end of that verse, of verse 16, where it says, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Because as we take a look at that phrase, we see God's plan for how the gospel, the good news was supposed to be spread. We saw that in the ministry of Jesus in Matthew fifteen twenty four, for example. We also see that or read that Jesus commanded his disciples to start with the lost sheep of the house of Israel before he sent them out. And then we see also in Acts 1, verse 8, and it's a blessing that we're doing the study in the book of Acts as well. And that's one of the reasons Pastor Jim asked me to pray about teaching Romans on Wednesdays because he wanted to, you know, he wanted all of us to to look at the connection, to see the connection between Acts and Romans. But just looking at Acts 1-8, which Pastor Jim already taught a few weeks ago, it says, but you shall receive power When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea, beginning, I'm sorry, in all Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so notice the order. They were to start in Jerusalem, the Jews there, then Judea, then Samaria, and then to the end of the earth. And so, again, you see that same order, the Jew first, then the Greek or the Gentile. And why was that? Well, if you read the scriptures, beginning with the Old Testament, we find out or are reminded of the fact that that God had chosen the children of Israel. He chosen them. He had chosen them to be his people, his special people or a special nation, not because It was a large number of them, not because they were so mighty, but because he loved them and because he wanted to keep the oath that he had made with their forefathers. 
But we see that these children of Israel, this chosen nation, have received the commandments. They received the law and they received the prophecies from God. And they were to expect the coming Messiah. And so because they had those things, the message was preached to them first. That was the order. They were to expect it. It's almost as if those of you who are parents have have children of various ages. You're always going to start with the oldest because the oldest should know better. And so same way, the Jews, they receive the commandments first and the prophecies. In fact, they were supposed to be the witnesses to the Gentiles of this true and the living God. But they failed in many ways. And now, of course, we know that God is working in and through his church. And so we call this the church age made up of all believers, whether Jews or Gentiles. But in this pattern of reaching out to the Jews first, then the Gentiles or Greeks for the gospel of Jesus Christ, reaching them for Christ. In that pattern, we see a pattern for us in our personal lives. We see a pattern for our own ministries and for our own mission fields. We are to start first at home, then to our extended family, and then to our communities, our cities, our state, and, and then going outward just like that. And so we see this pattern here. And we follow this same pattern here at church at Calvary Chapel. We start first with the members being a pouring into, being a blessing to the members who come here regularly. And then we spread out into the community. And so we follow that same principle. But let's look at verse 17 and we'll touch on those other points in verse 16 later. But in verse 17, it says, for in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God. And by the way, that's the theme of the letter, the righteousness of God. It is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. That, of course, is a quote from Habakkuk chapter two, verse four. For in it, the gospel, that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So first off in verse 16, we, we learned of the apostle Paul's stance on the gospel. Of course, he is not ashamed of it. That's the stance we learned of. But if you combine these two verses, 16 and 17, we learn some doctrinal reasons that he was not ashamed of it. Some doctrinal reasons the apostle Paul was not ashamed of it. That is removing his personal experience from the gospel, just looking at it for what it says, looking at it for what it is, looking at it as, as just doctrine. To stand back and look at it. And so we, we can learn some of these reasons of why he was unashamed. And the first reason is, and we find this in verse 16, is that the gospel or this good news of Christ is the power of God to salvation. 
So that is one doctrinal reason the Apostle Paul was not ashamed of it. And this word power, and I want to pause here to to take a, a, a metaphorical magnifying glass to this word. Because power comes from a Greek word that's pronounced dunamis. And it means strength, power, or ability. It speaks of inherent or built-in power that the gospel has. It talks about the power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. Or this word power, which comes again from dunamis. It refers to the power a person or a thing exerts and puts forth. And by the way, this word, this Greek word dunamis is actually a word that our word dynamite comes from. And we know what dynamite is used for. It is power packed to the point where it explodes. It can destroy stuff. Just power packed. And so the gospel is dynamite, is dynamic, is power packed. It is the power of God to salvation. Now, why does the gospel have inherent or built in power? And that's because of its source. Its source is God. We go back to verse one of Romans chapter one and we see that it is called the gospel of God. And because it comes from an almighty, powerful God, a God who has all power, which there is a fancy word for that. It's omnipotent. It is no wonder that a gospel, a message, a good news that comes from him is power packed, is dynamic or just dynamite. A second reason we we see that the apostle Paul doctrinally is not ashamed of the gospel, is that this salvation uh, that is offered through the gospel message is offered to everyone. It is offered to every single person. And a third reason that the apostle Paul doctrinally is not ashamed of it is that it is not Based on works. It's not based on a person trying to earn their way into God's blessings or earn their way into heaven, earn their approval in the sight of God. But it's by believing for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. But there is a a fourth reason and this fourth reason is actually found in verse 17 and that is in the gospel doctrinally the one who is guilty the one who is by nature that is all mankind who by nature are the children of wrath of God's wrath deserving of hell the guilty is given the righteousness of God by imputation as if they never sinned and so you have uh, uh, a spiritually bankrupt, sinful, going to hell people who cannot earn their way into heaven by faith, receiving the righteousness of God into their spiritual account. 
so that now those people have a right standing with God. They now have peace with God. That is the believer's position even before they start good works. For a person who puts their faith in Christ, they receive that gospel message, that good news about the Jesus in the Bible. Positionally, where they start from is a position of righteousness. It is unearned. It is imputed. It is according to the grace of God. But now there is more because there is a phrase here that says, That in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So at the beginning of the salvation process, obviously that salvation is appropriated by faith. And so again, positionally by faith, we're declared righteous, right standing with God. But now it says from faith to faith. What does that mean? That means from the beginning of the salvation process. To the end of the salvation process, we ought to be living a life of faith from beginning to end has to be a life of faith in Christ, the Christ of the scriptures. So in other words, whatever we are positionally in our position, we're declared righteous in our position. So whatever we are in position We are to now practically become righteous. And that is only through faith in Christ from beginning to end. Daily faith in him. We don't start our salvation by faith. And then from there, we forget about Jesus. We forget about grace. And then we try to work our way into becoming better. No, beginning to end. Is faith beginning to end. God is imparting his righteousness to us. And so our whole walk is a walk of faith. It's a walk in which we can say that we have experienced and been blessed with the grace of God. And that's why in Revelation, you see those folks laying their crown at the feet of Christ. Because yes, We'll be blessed with rewards as believers for those works that that God sees fit that we receive rewards for. But at the end of the day, we'll say, Lord, you are the one who worked it in me both to will and to do for your good pleasure. So thank you, Lord. But here, this crown really belongs to you because it's a it's all about God's grace. And again, we appropriate that through faith. Now, not only have we seen the doctrinal reasons that the Apostle Paul was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We also see an overall picture of what the gospel is all about. The gospel is all about a person. And that person or that subject, of course, is Jesus Christ, who is, by the way, God in the flesh. It is a message about his sinless life. God literally becoming man, fully God, fully man. Live a sinless life, never sin. It's a story. It's the message about his ministry, 
the message about his death for our sins. It's a message about his burial and also his resurrection. And so this message is all about Jesus. And this message calls people to repent and believe in this Jesus and what he did so that they can experience this power of God to save them from the penalty and the power of sin. But there's also something as we continue to read the New Testament, there is also a bunch of other benefits that are bound up in this gospel message of Christ. Because in this simple message of the gospel of Christ, we can see the peace of God. Because it is through receiving this gospel message about Jesus, putting our faith in this one this message is about, now we have peace with God. And it opens up the door for us to experience the peace of God in our daily lives. Because I don't know if you realize it or not. Before you became a believer, you were at odds with God. Your back was turned towards him. Our sin separated us from God. Our sin is a horrible spiritual disease that that leads to death. But Jesus is the cure with the capital C. And people go to hell because they don't receive that that cure. They're going to hell anyway because of sin. But now you have the cure available and you don't receive it. You sealed your faith. Those people sealed their faith, their fate, I should say, or their eternal destiny. But first of all, we have bound up in this gospel message, the peace that we can have with God. We we see truth in the gospel. And this gospel message is bound up hope that is laid up for the believer in heaven. And that hope is the joyful expectation of coming good. It is a confident hope. Wrapped up in this message is life and grace and the love of God. We see mercy. That is us not getting what we deserve. We see that all wrapped up in this gospel message of Christ. We see forgiveness. We see, of course, righteousness. That I spent a few minutes discussing with you or sharing with you because it's really a one way communication thing right now. So discussion is the wrong word. But now, as we really look at these details of these verses and as we really look back at and remember the life of Christ, um, not the life of the Apostle Paul, not Christ. We remember that the Apostle Paul, and at that time he was known as Saul when he was persecuting the church. Before his encounter with Christ, we know that this man was a blasphemer. He admitted to being a blasphemer. He admitted to being an insolent man. You see that in the scriptures. He wrote that about himself. So knowing the life of the Apostle Paul before he encountered the Christ... We can understand now his personal reasons for being unashamed. You see, earlier we looked at the doctrinal reasons, us stepping back, just looking at the basic fundamental teachings of the gospel of why he was unashamed. But now we look at his personal life before Christ. And there are some personal reasons here for him to not be ashamed because, yes, he was a persecutor persecutor of the church, the bride of Christ, and he was ashamed of it. But of course, he received the grace of God. 
He received the mercy of God. He received the forgiveness of God. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, it says that I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. See that? So personally, he can appreciate and be unashamed of the gospel. I was a persecutor, but I received his grace. And then in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, it says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. He saw himself as the worst of sinners. However, for this reason, I obtain mercy. That in me, first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. And so I'm unashamed of this gospel because I was the worst of sinners. I was an insolent man. I was a blasphemer. I beat, I destroyed, I, I wreaked havoc upon the church, the bride of Christ, chief of sinners, the worst of the worst, the baddest of the baddest. However, for this reason, I receive the mercy of God because God was using me as an example that he was showing all long suffering to me that, hey, if, if God through Christ can show could be long suffering to the apostle Paul who did all of these things, if God can forgive the apostle Paul who was known as Saul, the persecutor at that time, then guess what? He can save other people. And so in that, in his personal life, he saw no reason to be ashamed of it. And he was used in a mighty way to reach many people for Christ. And he became one of the most prominent apostles and missionaries and evangelists that God used. He even wrote a large portion of the New Testament as the Holy Spirit gave him that inspired word. And so not only did he see the impact of the gospel on his life personally, but he saw the impact of the gospel in the lives of many people that he has shared the gospel with. And so, yes, he had reason to not be ashamed of this gospel, both doctrinally, the fundamental teachings of it, and personally in his own life. But just like the Apostle Paul, we should not be ashamed of this gospel. We should not be ashamed of this good news. And I tell you that there are plenty of things in our lives, in our past life, that we could be ashamed of. And the gospel is not one of those things that we should be ashamed of. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, This is what it says. It says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent, which is a quote from Isaiah 29, 14. But then he enters into a series of questions. Where is the wise? So where is the philosopher? Where is the scribe or the scholar? Where is the disputer or the debater of this age or of this world? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. 
It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So bring me the philosopher. Bring me the wise guy. Bring me the smartest person. They have not figured out how to save a sinner. They have not figured out to, uh, how to share a, a message so powerful that it can save uh, the worst of worst sinners. A person as Apostle Paul claimed, the chief of sinners. All of these philosophies, these philosophers, the, the debaters, these, these scholars, where are they? Why haven't they come out, come up or come out with something as powerful as the gospel message? That's because they are not God. They are not omnipotent. You see, the gospel message did not only come from an omnipotent God, but the subject of the gospel is the omnipotent God, the son of God, Jesus Christ, who became the perfect sacrifice. And second Corinthians tells us that, that God made him who knew no sin to to be sin for us on our behalf. In other words, to be a sin offering for us. Although he was completely innocent, he never sinned. And why did he do that? Just like it says in verse 17 of our lesson tonight, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So God, the son, the eternal God became a human, died for us, took the punishment that we deserve so that God through our faith and that by his grace would impute his righteousness into our spiritual account. All of the debaters of the world cannot figure out how to do something like that. But through the simplicity of the gospel message, God has done this. And the world will look at the gospel message, yes, as foolish. They will try to shame us for believing in the one in whom the gospel is about. They want to shame us for believing in the Jewish carpenter who died for us nearly 2,000 years ago. They want to shame us because we would dare or have the audacity to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to get to heaven they would shame us that, that we would claim that such a one would die for a thing called sin. They would try to shame us that we would believe in what they would call a fairy tale, that one would rise from the dead, would be resurrected and, and, and ascend back to heaven, and that he is alive right now, and that he's even coming back for his bride. They would shame us for having the audacity to believe that. Many criticizers in the world who would claim that what we believe is foolishness. But we should not be ashamed of this Christ. We should not be ashamed about this gospel. About the one who went through this suffering. Who went through, get this, he went through shame for us. He allowed himself to be treated as a criminal for us. That's a shameful thing, but he allowed it to be. And Hebrews 12, 2 gives us the reason. Because in this Christian race, in Hebrews 12, 2, this is what it tells us. It says, look unto Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and he despised 
the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So why should we be ashamed of the gospel about this Christ who was not ashamed to die for us? Why wasn't he ashamed? Because of the joy that was set before him. Why was, why could he be so joyful as he went through that pain, as he went through that shame, as he died the death of a criminal, although he was completely innocent? What was the joy? Many of us are sitting in this room. He saw how many lives would be impacted. He saw how many people would get to go to heaven and spend eternity with him. He saw how many lives would be freed from the slavery to the, to the devil and to sin. He saw people being set free. So for that joy, for that blessings of these people being able to just dwell in heaven forever, seeing the face of God. Oh, he despised that shame. He went through it all for us. And, and should we be ashamed of that gospel for this one? This one with the capital O. You see, there is no reason to be ashamed of that love that is shown in the gospel and no reason to be, to be ashamed of the grace. That's us receiving God's favor, his favor that we cannot earn. We cannot purchase. We shouldn't be ashamed of a gospel about his mercy. Shouldn't be ashamed that he forgave us of all of those shameful things that we've committed in our past or before Christ's lives. We shouldn't be ashamed of this power-packed, powerful message of God. Should not be ashamed because now we have a right standing with God. And he's helping us from faith to faith to live that righteous life. Becoming more like Jesus, we will not be ashamed of that. This power wrapped up in this message to save and transform our lives. There is no other message like this. There is no debater, nor no other writer, no other religion in the world who can have a powerful message like this. And now practically, practically as we pray that God would give us that mindset. And if you have it, our prayers that you would keep it. But practically, what does a unashamed life look like? First of all, with an unashamed life, we are willing to share the gospel with others. We are willing to share the gospel with others. Now we're talking about practicality. Now, we're talking about living out this mindset of being unashamed. Number two, we take advantage of opportunities to share the gospel. So you move from the willingness to share it now to taking an advantage of opportunities to share it. So now, in other words, you, you put feet to your faith. And number two. And lastly, we unashamedly live for him. We unashamedly live for the one who died for us. We live for that one whom the gospel is about as we have the worship team come up. 
we live like a person whose life has been transformed by God through this gospel message of Christ. That's what number three is about. That's what living unashamedly is about. Yes, we receive this gospel message. Yes, we're saved. We're going to heaven. Now, unashamedly live like our lives have been impacted by this powerful message from God. No matter who is ridiculing us, no matter what they say about us, no matter what threats are there, we live for him. And as Matt is here, he's about to play a song. If you're taking notes, you can write down this last scripture. Great reminder. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him or continue to live in him. You're declared righteous by faith, in other words. Now walk it out. Remember, from faith to faith, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you for this powerful gospel message is still working today. Or we don't need to do any magic tricks. Don't need to write any other gospels. We don't need to hire the most famous debaters, scholars, philosophers. All that we need is, is in your word. And all who we need is in the message of the gospel. Jesus Christ. So continue, we pray, to transform us by the renewing of our minds. And according to your grace, Lord. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If there's anyone who never received Christ, or if you're not sure you, where you would go, if you were to die tonight, where you would spend eternity? If you're not sure, I encourage you to open your hearts and receive them tonight. And at least one of us will be here at the front ready and willing to pray with you. If there's anyone else in here who needs prayer, believer, unbeliever, feel free to come forward. Thank you all for coming out. God bless you. God keep you. Amen. For you are the Lord, exalted above the most high, the ruler of all, worthy of all my praise. You 
are the Lord, mighty in all of your ways, forever the same, so worthy of all my praise. And I lift my hands in holy devotion to you. Life is my sacrifice, daily surrender, and I lift my voice unashamed of my love for you, for you are the Lord, my redeeming King, my redeeming Go in the power of the Lord. Don't be ashamed of the gospel.